Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. The book is organized into chapters, with starting with uh, preparing for and participating in your first meeting, and then going a little bit beyond that. Um, if you are going to suddenly be hosting meetings, um, and then using the various features like the screen share and managing participants and using the chat. And in case you haven't figured it out, we'll be talking about the Zoom video conferencing service today, which is particularly useful during these times of the pandemic. We'll speak with Heather Thomas from the Carroll Center about her new book, Getting Started with Zoom Meetings, a guide for JAWS, NVDA, and iPhone voiceover users that describes how you can use Zoom with a screen reader. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Heather Thomas. One thing that sometimes happens when you're in a Zoom meeting and maybe you're remaining in the Zoom meeting window, maybe you're taking notes in another application, whatever the reason is, sometimes it's difficult to get your focus back onto the Zoom meeting controls. Uh, so one good keystroke to have in your back pocket is Control-Alt-Shift. Those three keys together will bring focus back to the Zoom meeting controls. And that's one of the reasons it will be useful to know about this book, even if you have used Zoom before. She's got tips and instructions and information in there that will be valuable for everybody, whether it's your first time or whether you think you're a pro at it. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by a site. Wearable electronic eyeglasses that support visual ability for people who are low vision or blind with visual acuity of 2600 or better. More information about the AceSight family is online at acesight.com. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Heather and learning about the Carroll Center where she works. My name is Heather Thomas. I work in Newton, Massachusetts at the Carroll Center for the Blind. I am an Accessibility Services Associate. Prior to joining the Accessibility Services Department this past September, I was an Assistive Technology Instructor for almost 20 years uh, at the Carroll Center. Wow. So most of our listeners and most of your clients have visual impairments. Do you? I do not. I am sighted. How did you get into being an instructor of access technology? Well, I went to school to be a TVI, a teacher of the visually impaired. And when I graduated, I decided that I really preferred working with adults. And I had a part-time job at the Carroll Center that kind of morphed into a full-time job. And long story short, I became an assistive technology instructor uh, teaching primarily adults to use screen magnification software and screen reading software to access Microsoft Office and browse the web. Cool. Can you give us a quick overview of what the Carroll Center is and does? Sure. The Carroll Center is a private, nonprofit blindness rehabilitation center. We're located in Newton, Massachusetts, and we're originally founded in 1936 
and began working with blinded veterans who were returning from war. And today we serve individuals of all ages and all stages of vision loss. Uh, we work with people in adjustment to blindness, orientation and mobility, personal management, technology, job development. We have an adult rehabilitation department, an education department serving students K through 12. Uh, we have summer youth programs, including a job readiness program and a computing for college program. And we have an accessibility services department. Uh, I work in that department and we're helping companies to make their websites more accessible. So we conduct WCAG or WCAG accessibility evaluations or audits, sometimes people call them. Uh, we do accessibility consulting services. We provide skilled user testing. We provide PDF remediation through our strategic partner. Uh, we assist with usability study recruitment and we provide screen reader training and document accessibility training. So I understand that you do not limit yourselves to students and clients just from the Boston area. I gather you have programs that bring people in from far afield. That's true. Under normal circumstances, we are a rehabilitation agency and we have students from all over, um, sometimes out of country. Recently, we've, of course, had remote training. Um, we have currently some day students, and um, we're hoping uh, at some point soon to open back up on a limited capacity basis. Um, but we will continue to be offering remote training. And do most people come to the Carroll Center through referrals, or they find out about it by themselves, or what? Primarily through referrals, the majority of our consumers are from Massachusetts and are referred by their by the state agency. Um, but certainly people have heard our name or heard about us online or have a family member or know someone who's been here. Well, keep up the good work. Thank you. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is how you can use Zoom with a screen reader and Heather Thomas's new book on that subject. Today we wanted to talk with you about a book you wrote that's particularly relevant for the times that people are going through these days. You want to tell us the title of the book? I'm sure it's Getting Started with Zoom Meetings, a guide for JAWS, NVDA, and iPhone voiceover users. And those are very popular screen readers. And what was your original motivation for writing the book? Was it because of the pandemic, or do you just think this resource needed to be available in general? I actually started writing notes for just internal staff that we could use at the beginning. Um, that was back in, I guess, early March. And then actually David Kingsbury, who's a coworker who you've spoken to before, suggested that I kind of clean it up and turn it into a book format so that we could share it with other people since, you know, other agencies and individuals were, you know, in the same circumstances and, and needing to connect with people remotely, whether it's for work or socialization or clubs or meetings of any kind. Or conducting this interview. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> how very nice and how very timely. 
I think that many of our listeners probably know what Zoom is, but for anybody out there who doesn't, can you give them a quick overview of what Zoom is? Sure. So Zoom is an online meeting platform that is popular and accessible with uh, screen readers and keyboard access that can be used for business meetings or classes online. Some schools use it. Um, We use it at the Carroll Center for working with consumers remotely or even for just connecting with family members. And Zoom naturally comes with both an audio channel and a video channel, but you can turn either one on or off independent of the other. Correct. So one thing I think is interesting, for most of the life of Eyes on Success, we had been using Skype. And about a year and a half ago or two years ago, we switched to Zoom and found it to be a much more pleasurable experience, easier for the people we're interviewing to just click on a link and a lot less technical problems. And I'm wondering if you had the same experience and that's why your organization is using Zoom. And we are primarily using Zoom because it's accessible. And so our instructors may be using primarily Uh, the JAWS screen reader, um, and students might be using JAWS or NVDA or voiceover. So that's the biggest reason why we're using Zoom is that it is accessible. Yeah, we found more and more issues with Skype, and this just seemed to be much more accessible, as you say, and a lot easier. Zoom is particularly a simple app to use for the recipient, correct? Correct. Typically, a recipient will receive an email or they could be provided with the meeting ID and password. And they do not necessarily need to sign up for an account first before they join a Zoom meeting. And there's really just a few keystrokes that will make the experience easier, but they can also choose to just tab or shift tab through meeting controls to do basic things like mute themselves and turn their video on and off. So you talked about how easy it is for the recipient to use Zoom. They just click on a link and maybe enter a password sometimes. But it's not even too difficult for someone setting up a meeting, the host of these meetings. It's pretty easy to set it up and control the meeting and do everything one needs to do. Yes. So a host would need to have a Zoom account and they could have a basic account, which is a free account that allows for unlimited one-on-one or up to 40 minutes if there's more than one-on-one in the meeting. And then they would download the the Zoom app and log in and create a meeting, which then if they use Outlook or if they use a Google Calendar, generates a calendar invitation with all the necessary information right there. So then they can just put in the recipients and send it along. And again, all of that is screen reader accessible if you're using a PC or very easy to use on a smartphone. Correct. And then there are various other levels of accounts where you can have more participants or longer sessions with more participants. And depending on how many participants, of course, the price goes up, but it starts out not too bad. Correct. And as you mentioned, if there's more than two participants, you're limited to 40 minutes for the free account. But we've also found that If everyone's willing to just sign off, you can click the same link again and just continue for another 40 minutes. So that isn't so bad. That's a good trick. (laughs) It's not so good if you want to appear to be professional, but it works great with a bunch of friends. (laughs) 
you told us the name of the book. Can you give us an idea of how the book is organized and what the major sections are? Um, sure. You really could read it all the way through if you wanted to do that. So perhaps if someone was new to Zoom, that might be their approach. The book is organized into chapters, with starting with uh, preparing for and participating in your first meeting, and then going a little bit beyond that. Um, if you are going to suddenly be hosting meetings, um, and then using the various features like the screen share and managing participants and using the chat. The book is laid out with headings, so you can jump to a heading that's of interest to you. Um, and then in the end, there's a series of appendices. There's an appendix of keystrokes and some resources at the end. And who is the target audience for your book? Primarily individuals who are pretty new to Zoom. Um, the reason we wanted to get this out when we did was we were trying to help people towards the beginning of the pandemic to kind of make that transition. So it was really geared more towards getting people up and running um, with hopefully a little bit of detail for people that had used it a little bit that maybe just wanted to see if they could do something more efficiently or if there were features that they weren't using. And how skilled do you assume people are with their screen readers? I assumed that they had a basic functionality with JAWS or NVDA and that they knew how to send and receive email and had those kinds of basic skills, but perhaps they had never used Zoom before. Now, you talked about the basic functionality of Zoom in terms of doing audio and video conferencing with one or more people from anywhere around the world, as we do for this show. But there's also a lot more to Zoom that people may not realize. Can you talk about some of the special functions and capabilities of which people may not be aware? Sure. So one of the things you could do um, is to do a screen share. And so that might be a PowerPoint presentation and perhaps your audience is cited so they could take advantage of the screen share, which by nature would not be accessible. Um, but hopefully you would send out the PowerPoint presentation ahead of time. Um, and then you can also share computer audio, which I believe you cannot do on some of the other uh, non-Zoom platforms out there that are available. So that's something that is a cool feature of Zoom that you can share your computer audio um, and that means for teachers of assistive technology that you could share your JAWS or NVDA um, screen reader with a student or if you're demonstrating, um, perhaps to a group of developers, then um, you can share uh, and do demonstrations that way. And I'm pretty sure you can also share video directly from your computer. You can do that. I actually have never done that, but you can do that. But some of those tools can be very useful, as you point out, in some kind of training situation where people need to see or hear what's happening on the other computer. Yes. And there is a chat component as well, which uh, people can, or hosts rather, can limit um, how that chat is used. So if it was a situation where um, the host thought that it would be really beneficial to allow participants to chat um, with everyone or maybe with just the host, they could do that, or they can disable the chat if they found that it was distracting for that particular audience. And that's a text-based interaction. Yes. So what else can you tell us about Zoom that might be helpful for people who are visually impaired? 
So you do have the opportunity to manage participants. And one thing that you might consider doing if you're the host, but you're the primary speaker is to start the meeting and then consider making someone else that you're associated with the host so that they can take over those logistical duties of, say, if the waiting room is enabled, admitting people from the waiting room, monitoring whether people are submitting anything to chat, um, seeing if anyone has raised their hand so that the speaker can really just focus on speaking. Um, It's really a lot to manage both. And I don't think that's necessarily exclusive to someone with a visual impairment or not. It's just a lot to think about speaking and managing a meeting at the same time. Probably depends on the nature of the meeting, how important that would be. But certainly if you're speaking for a long time, that can be a little much to handle for one person. Yeah, I don't think I'd want to deal with all those logistical issues if I was the speaker. (laughs) That'd be very distracting. So you talked about people raising their hand, and that can be done, you know, physically, because everybody can have their own video feed, and the moderator can notice that somebody's hand is up, but that can also be done differently. Uh, Yep, so the easiest way to do that would be to press Alt-Y. If you want to know why, ask Alt-Y to raise your hand. And it's actually the same command to raise and lower your hand. That's so cute. You just demonstrated. And then the host sees that on their computer screen, and they can choose to address that person's question when it's convenient, I suppose. Yep, and the host could choose to lower your hand for you as sort of an acknowledgement that they... Uh, are aware that you've raised your hand, and then answer whenever it's appropriate to do so during the meeting. For people with vision problems, they often worry about the camera because they don't know if they're in the view and what's behind them. Do you have any advice for people in that situation about how to deal with the camera? So one thing to keep in mind is that if whenever your video or your webcam is on, people in your audience can see whatever your webcam is pointing to. And some people have wondered if they moved over to a Word document and took notes what people would see. But as long as your camera's on and you're not sharing your screen, people will see whatever your camera is pointing to. So keep that in mind in terms of what's behind you in your room as well. That's good to know for a visually impaired person because they really don't know what the other people are seeing in general. Great tip. Yeah. Do you have a suggestion for how a visually impaired person could ensure that their head is in the image that people are seeing? We run into that all the time. Yeah, it is tricky with um, the webcams that are built into the computer. Um, If you have everything set up the same way on a laptop and you can position something in the same place the next time and you're aware of where your webcam is on your particular laptop because they all seem to be in a different place, um, then you can sort of get an idea of the angle of your screen and if you have your laptop propped up on anything and just try to be in the same position. That would be a little bit easier to do if you have an external webcam because that may be more stationary. So maybe you have one that's clipped on to Um, a desktop monitor, that's probably not going to be moving around a lot. Um, So definitely harder with the the laptop. And I guess that's best set up by trying Zoom with a sighted person to have them tell you where you should sit when you're on Zoom. Yeah, for something formal, 
um, I would recommend that like a business meeting. So maybe have your casual get together first and, you know, figure out where your webcam is and what's the best position for your laptop and the angle of the uh, monitor on the laptop. And the other tricky situation that we run into is Pete's been blind basically since birth. And he's really good at looking at people who are talking to him. But what that means when he's on a video conference is he's always looking at the speaker. And the speaker isn't necessarily next to the camera. So if you really want to look professional, you really want to make sure that you're facing the camera and not where you hear the person's voice coming from necessarily. Might not be the same place. That's a good point. And on my laptop, my webcam is in the lower left-hand corner, which is not the most ideal placement for your webcam. A lot of times they're in the top center. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, if you have a chair that you can place uh, in front of your computer and just make sure that you're not twirling in your chair, you're facing the the monitor, that may help. But that's a good point about the speaker. And of course, the other tip is if you can't see and the person or people that you're talking to can't see, there's no need to even use the video. We often don't use the video on our interviews via Zoom, and that saves on bandwidth and internet glitches. And besides which, we're putting together an audio-only program, so the video wouldn't add anything to it anyway. So I guess you've been in a number of Zoom meetings and presentations, et cetera. How well has all this worked in practice? Um, It works pretty well. I really haven't run into issues during meetings or uh, during presentations. Um, Generally, I have followed that format of someone else's managing questions if it's a presentation that I've done. Are there any hiccups that you've noticed with Zoom or any improvements that you'd like to see? Um, Well, one thing that is uh, tricky is that sometimes things have changed Um, since the book came out around May 1st. There's been, I think, about nine updates. And so sometimes that changes things a little bit here and there, even just in terms of the security settings. And, you know, at one point, the waiting room was on by default. And if you weren't expecting that, that could potentially throw you for a loop. Um, I would like to see perhaps the Zoom company deal with the accessibility of polling. Um, In talking to people, we've had mixed results with being able to get to the question and being able to answer the question. So when you talk about polling, you're talking about the presenter asking a question and then he can query the participants as to yes, no, or who agrees and doesn't agree? Yes. And people have had really mixed results with being able to actually get to those questions, or they may even disappear too quickly. But in general, it's a pretty accessible program, and it sounds like most of your meetings have gone pretty smoothly. Yes, absolutely. The majority of the platform is accessible. Yeah. So it's kind of neat. I mean, in one sense, it's kind of easy to use Zoom if you use some of the simple features, and it's almost turnkey. But on the other hand, there's enough sophistication that you could do some very interesting type of meetings and get-togethers with Zoom. It's very flexible. Yeah. You talked about a number of the Zoom features changing since you've written the book. And this happens with a lot of software, right? They get updated and some manual came out and all of a sudden it has to be changed. 
Is there any way that you're dealing with that in terms of, are you thinking about updating the book or putting it online with some changes or what do you recommend for people? I am thinking about going through and making changes, probably not adding a whole lot, but just doing one more run through to make sure because there's step-by-step notes in there that every step is accurate since um, it first came out in May. So since we've had a number of changes, I'm hoping those changes will slow down so that we can have a, a copy that is as accurate as it could be. Over time, of course, it will change, but I would like to do one more run through and update it. Well, if you haven't used Zoom, it might be worth trying to see how it works out. Sounds like it's pretty easy with a screen reader, and we've been using it very successfully to do our interviews for Eyes on Success for some time now. Give it a shot. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, success, success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about the Carroll Center for the Blind, how to get Heather Thomas's recent book, Getting Started with Zoom Meetings, a guide for JAWS, NVDA, and iPhone voiceover users, and how to contact her directly. If people are interested in learning more about Zoom or downloading the application and becoming a host and setting up an account, where do they go? So you can go to zoom.us to be able to sign up for an account. If you have any questions specifically about accessibility or wanted to bring anything up to their accessibility team, the email address for that is access at zoom.us. And where can people get your book? The book is sold through the Carroll Center store. So it's carol.org slash store which is spelled C-A-R-R-O-L-L dot org slash store. That's easy enough. And what formats is it available in? This book is available in Word format or in PDF format. Great. And if people wanted to find out more about the Carroll Center, I suppose they could just go to carroll.org. Correct. And if somebody had a question they wanted to submit by email or telephone, how would they do that? So the general Carroll Center phone number is 617-969-6200. And the email address you could use is info at carol.org. And again, Carol is C-A-R-R-O-L-L. Do you have a social media presence? Uh, We do. We're on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. And if people had questions for you, would they be able to contact you directly? Uh, Sure. My email address is heather.thomas at carol.org. And another resource, if you want to learn more about Zoom, is before this pandemic ever started and most people had ever even heard about it, we did an episode about features and accessibility of Zoom in which we interviewed Carter Jenkins, who works for Zoom. And that was show 2003. And as usual, if you missed any of that information, we'll have it in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 2043. 
Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about NFB advocacy. The National Federation of the Blind, or NFB, has long played a leading role in advocating for the rights of people with visual impairments, especially in the areas of education, employment, and civil rights. We'll talk with John Paré, Executive Director for Advocacy and Policy at the NFB, about some of the work they've been doing and its impact on people with vision loss. And if you want to hear all of the things that NFB has done for people with vision impairments, join us for that episode next week. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.